trigger warning. On this episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, we will be discussing suicide and depression in great detail. Listener, be warned. All right, everyone, welcome to Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we are so excited to have our in-house psychologist, Dr. Stevens, here. Dr. Stevens is a licensed psychologist. She's been on the podcast before, and she is our go-to when it comes to mental health, education, and yeah, we're super excited to have her back. So, Dr. Stevens, how are you doing today? Thank you, Ms. Dominique. Thank you, Ms. Ashley, for inviting me back. I had a ball with you all last time. So I'm so excited to be a part of this ongoing effort. Yes, yes. We're We're grateful to have you. We're so grateful to have you. Very thankful. So I guess before we kind of dive into things, how is everything going uh, with you, with both of you guys? Like, how has your week been? We can start with Dr. Stevens. How has your week been? Start with that cat. It's been a, you know, I guess like for most people, 2020 has been a bit of a challenge. You know, I've had um, one or two family members who've been sick, very sick, you know, so thankfully, prayerfully, they recovered. Um, So, you know, that was such a big relief. Um, But other than that, like I tell everybody, it's a pandemic. We're just trying to survive, you know, so anytime anybody comes with any type of ridiculousness I'm like it's a pandemic let's focus on the essentials here so that's really Mm -hmm. what I'm focused on you know so I'm happy about you know certainly just in terms of health life and prosperity in terms of what that means for 2020 right Right. absolutely um for me I've been feeling very tired I'm always tired anyway because I'm a I'm a sleepy person but just making sure that I get the proper rest, but not giving myself too much grace. Because sometimes I get, I, I get a, a little overly gracious with myself and it leads to laziness. And I've been interrupting the, that laziness with a lot of positive movement and jumping up before the gloom sets in. And yeah. just just moving always helps me. And I'm so grateful that this week has been the weather has been not as cold as it as as it's usually been. So it's been in the the mid sixties, and I've been in heaven, being able to get you the sun. The it's been week. sunny, yeah. yeah <laughs> and that's what and that's why I can't wait to relocate back to Florida because having the sun saved me when I moved out there. That vitamin D is everything. It is amazing. It really did save me, and just as much, just the little effort of stepping outside and feeling the sun changes things for me so whenever I do need to reset I go and I sit stand in my backyard I like to ground barefoot so I'll stand outside barefoot and I just take the sun and just stand and spit in in my in one spot and I know my neighbors are like what the hell is she doing like looking (laughs) but (laughs) I'm just like eyes closed and just just basking in the sun so but I don't care. I'm, I'm still going to, by any means necessary, I'm going to do what I need to do. <laughs> what about you, <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing good today. I Same as you have been t- tired the past couple of days, finishing, trying to finish moving and decorating, organizing everything. But I'm tired, but I'm super grateful that we are in our new place and really like the neighborhood that we're in. Like I'm starting to feel like this is, home and yeah 
yeah, so I'm I'm tired and I'm thankful and I'm excited and yeah, just ready to to ready for the weekend actually. <laughs> yeah. Ready for the weekend. But yeah, so today we are going to talk about something I'm not sure if many people have heard of this. I know I first heard about it off of, you know, Instagram posts, which is SAD, seasonal affective disorder. So what I've gathered from, like what I've read is basically your feelings and your mood can be affected by the seasons. But Dr. Stevens, you are the professional, so I'm going to let you kind of take over what what it is and and essentially that is exactly what it is in a sense of our the amount of exposure that we have to light sets our mood and certainly like most things with psychological or psychiatric diagnosis they have such a strong biological basis and so what happens is that you know certainly when so our bodies run on what we call the circadian rhythm you know and most people circadian rhythm is for 24 hours. So the circadian rhythm is that natural biorhythm in our body that tells us, oh, it's time to go to sleep. Oh, it's time to wake up. Oh, I'm hungry now. Oh, it's time for a nap. So this natural biorhythm that tells us when it's appropriate for us to do certain things. A part of the circadian rhythm, you know, certainly being on this 24-hour clock, it is regulated by the amounts of light. So taking it a step further, when we think about it from an evolutionary perspective, right? The amount of light that we were exposed to prehistorically basically gave us some insight in terms of when it when it's a signal for us, when it was time for us to do certain things versus when it was time for us to rest, right? right. So thinking about the biological basis of it. So the amount of light that we're exposed to, that amount of light, typically the natural sunlight, the natural light from sunlight, it is red and perceived by our retina. And so the cones in our eyes, when they sense that, it basically suppresses or increases the production of melatonin. And melatonin is a hormone that regulates sleep. For those of you who, Me. you know, may have had some trouble, right? You know, we've had sleeping issues, right? So you yeah. can get synthetic melatonin over the counter. You know, also you can get uh, prescription melatonin when so you need um, maybe something stronger. But right. but the thing about it is that we have you know melatonin in our bodies, and our, the melatonin, the hormone, basically tells our brain this is what needs to happen. So so again, so the amount of light that we perceive in our retina that's read by the cones tells us whether or not we need to reduce production or increased production of melatonin. And certainly, and so, and so when we think of so suppressing production of melatonin, means that it's time to wake up, increase the production of melatonin during low light situations tells us, right, that it's time for us to sleep or to rest. And again, when we think about the natural biorhythm, the natural biorhythm, so many things happen when we're asleep. So it's not just restorative sleep, it's a time certainly for our bodies to recuperate and certainly for other processes to happen and so we can talk a little bit more about that so I don't want to jump ahead but there are so many things that happen you know part of sleep you know so we have four or five four different waves of sleep and so so many things happen during that time and that's the reason why the circadian rhythms the natural biorhythms are so very important and to really take it out back to you know seasonal affect disorder so 
for individuals with seasonal affect disorder. This is a feature of major depressive disorder. So it's a form of depression, mm. of, of a chronic, uh, a chronic persistent uh, depression. Two weeks that includes five of nine symptoms. So depressed mood, anhedonia, or loss of interest in terms of guilt, feelings of or thoughts of rumination, low energy, problems concentrating, problems with appetite, problems with sleep. For some, thoughts around suicide, oh questioning suicidal, right? You or just questioning um, maybe even like your self worth in the sense of what's the point of living. Right. And so you have these nine different symptoms, and five of those nine symptoms, more days than not over two week period, consists of a depressive episode. And for one person who experiences one of those five or nine symptoms, they have what we call major depression or major depressive disorder. And what constitutes a seasonal affect disorder is if it occurs during one of these low light situations. So for oh. people who live up north, right? right? And not just for people who live up north, but certainly in the south as well. You know, so we have reduced exposure to sunlight. And we have reduced exposure to sunlight, it triggers not only certainly it, it, it not only triggers something with the suppression of melatonin, but it also triggers significant changes in our mood as well as the other natural biorhythms of our body. Wow. So, wow. so what I'm hearing is for C so SAD is a part of major uh did you say major depressive disorder? Major depressive, major depressive disorder, yeah. Disorder. So somebody that has this basically has the symptoms of major depressive disorder, but they have mm -hmm. specifically in like the winter when there's a, a big swing in the in the weather and you know, of course there's less sunlight because of daylight savings time. I know for some people they just whenever daylight savings time happens, they don't see sun. So they go into work and they're in a building and then they leave work and it's dark. Yes. So oh, that, that sucks. Somebody like that more that just gets no sunlight pretty much if they're in a building all the time. Very much so. Very much so. You know, and the thing about it is that, so, and it's actually what you talked about really hits, hits on the head in terms of like where the crux of the problem with seasonal affect disorder in terms of why it creates such a, or poses such a uh, problem for most individuals. Because one, we're on daylight saving time. Most parts of the US, right? So what we fall back and when we fall back, we wake up, it's extremely dark. And for most of us being the overworked Americans that we are, for those of us who are lucky enough to have a lunch, you know, or to take lunch. And if you don't, you skip through lunch and you're working eight to nine hours. So let's say if you start work at nine or even eight o'clock, yeah. it may be light, but it's certainly not the same amount of light. And, you, and we notice the difference. And so you're working eight to nine hours straight. And even if you do have a break, it may be certainly very short, not enough time in order to actually receive the restorative effects of sunlight, vitamin D from sunlight, you know, but working those eight to nine hours. And then by the time you leave, right, five, six o'clock, whatever time your shift naturally ends, it's extremely dark or it's getting dark, you know, mm -hmm. or let's say, you know, you have errands to run after work, which most of us do, you know, for those of us who work those typical like eight to five or nine to five hours, if you 
by the time you get home and you're able to get breath, it's eight o'clock, seven o'clock at night yeah. and it's pitch dark. Mm-hmm. And so this amount or lack of light, you know, certainly impacts. Oh, I feel so tired. I don't know why, you know, and so you come in very sluggish and you can't necessarily explain why. Well, certainly amount of sunlight is a, there's a direct correlation, a positive correlation in terms of the, so, well, I guess a actually indirect correlation in terms of the amount of sunlight we experience, certainly it impacts certainly the mood. Mm-hmm. So what you're telling me is I have major depression. Got it. Thank you for that answer. No, but um, like what happens when you have eight of the nine? Um, but no, I also wanted to interject or just uh, add in. So people that live in like Alaska and, and Antarctica, when they have those 24 hour days or 21 or 23 hour days of just blackness. So I would imagine that their their moods significantly change too, because being in darkness for that long, I understand people adjust to to living that way, but I'm sure there still has to be some kind of effects on mood. It has to be. I, I I can't subscribe to the idea that it it isn't. I would imagine that the the cases there are probably a lot higher. Oh, very so. much so, very much so. So actually, you know, we have quite a few research studies that look at certainly depression and suicide, suicide attempts and suicide completions. They're mm-hmm. much higher in the Northwest because when you think about like Seattle or Washington State, Alaska, the amount of sunlight, I mean, even during the summers, right, the early parts so of the low. summer, early parts of the spring yeah. are extremely low, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and especially when it happens, the amount of sunlight that you experience during the winter. It's negligible on average, you know, certainly compared to other parts of the country. And certainly we see that play out with certainly increased um, people or an increased amount of people reporting higher levels of depressive um, symptoms, higher numbers of people reporting suicide attempts and completions. That really does speak to, you know, certainly the deleterious effects of not having natural sunlight. But I also mm-hmm. want to take this, you know, and tag on a comment that you made, Miss Dominique. You know, just because you experience only these fluctuations doesn't necessarily mean that you have sad, you know, because certainly I think all of us certainly will be impacted, you know, by the amount of sunlight, you know. But again, mm-hmm. but remember to the extent to where it interferes and it impairs with functioning to a significant degree. Right. So you're not going to work for days on end or for works on end. Yeah. Or <laughs> you're not able to, or, or like say, you know, like most of us right now during the coronavirus, you know, for those of us who are, have the privilege of having um, at home jobs, right. you know, like you're still, even though you're at home, working you're still not able to meet those deadlines you're still not able to complete your task so boom i definitely have major depression thanks for confirming that (laughs) i think a lot of people (laughs) i think there's probably a lot of people that are going through these symptoms that you mentioned earlier and just kind of chalking it up to like oh it's a pandemic you know i'm not really seeing anybody and not really realizing that these are symptoms that come with depression and i think sometimes like you're saying 
we just chalk up not being able to get our tasks done, whether it just be going to the grocery store or going and, you know, like just being there for on time for meetings and being present in meetings and being present in our work and just being present mm -hmm. in our relationship and chalking it up to like, oh, I'm too tired and not really putting two and two together and realizing, okay, maybe this is something bigger than I'm just having a bad day. Right. Right. Very much right. so. Dr. Stevens, can you actually go through those symptoms again? Because I know that you mentioned one and it was something about rumination, but I just wanted you to kind of go into like what, how would you describe th that particular symptom? Okay. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a mnemonic in terms of what we've used and what I've used in grad school to learn on my symptomatology. And it's called SIGI caps. You take a SIGI caps for depression. Siggy caps, S-I-G-E-C-A-P-S-S. -S. Siggy starts with S for sadness, for sadness for more days than not. And associated with the sadness is I, which stands for low interest or anhedonia. So loss of interest. So for example, let's take a 32-year-old Black female who currently is working in marketing, working at home right now. Okay, so this person, this female, 32-year-old Black female, typically, you know, performs her job pretty well. So during the pandemic, like most people, she started experiencing fluctuations of pretty normal. So, so let's say at the start of the fall, right, started to notice changes with her mood. She doesn't necessarily feel the same level of excitement. I mean, even necessarily, even considering and accounting for the pandemic, like, it's just harder for her to feel excited. It's harder for her to feel just happy about certain things. So she's noticed some changes. But again, like you said, it's actually, she attributed to the pandemic. Everybody feels this way. Right. But then also, you know, like, let's say she started taking up crafting. You know, she started taking up crocheting. She started taking up crocheting. You know, she's really enjoying learning some new things. But again, after the fall... She just doesn't have the same interest, you know, because she would oftentimes would try to look for new patterns and learn different skills. And she's just not interested in learning anymore. You know, a project that she started has been left unfinished. So then we also have the G for guilt. Guilt or, or thoughts of rumination. So these are thoughts of guilt, thoughts of rumination, thoughts of self-persecution, right? So where individuals start to engage in these recurrent persecutory thoughts that have a depressive nature to it. So for example, let's say with our case, right? So this person who normally does pretty well, oh, such a bad person because I can't complete my task. You know, I'm such a bad worker. My boss notices what's going on. You know, I'm failing my patients or excuse me, I'm failing my clients. I'm failing my co-workers and filling my supervisor and they really had so much faith in me you all understand so you all see like how that those ruminative thoughts are just persistent right. and very and they're just triggering one after another and you know we call, they create what we call like a thought storm it's just ruined and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger mm -hmm. i like that a thought storm that is me like five out of seven days of the week thought storms Wow. And it can be very debilitating. This thought storm, it keeps you in a holding pattern because again, while you're, guess what's happening while you're persecuting yourself? You feel even less and less motivation to do anything. What's the point of it? 
it's not going to matter anyway. And even though you may not necessarily articulate those specific thoughts, those are certainly how they trigger more negative ruminations. And so oftentimes people who are in these thought storms find themselves paralyzed. Some paralyzed by anxiety, some paralyzed by just the sheer depression of the, of the overwhelm from the situation. I think that's the first time I've, I've heard, I mean, definitely the first time I've heard of a thought storm, but the way you put it definitely makes me realize oh my, when those times that I have had like thought storms where it's just like a, a black hole of just bad thoughts. And most of them are things like, like you're saying, like persecutory things that I would never say to a friend, but somehow I end up just telling myself, like, what are you doing? You can't do this. What? And it's oh, gosh. Just, you fall down this black hole and like the thoughts just keep spinning. And oh, goodness. Okay, sorry. We can keep going to the next letter because this is just great. Yeah. It's, but that's that's real stuff that that g hit different because okay. that guilt i get so mean to myself and i'm just like what the freak are you doing you're, you're this isn't how and i try and and I'm, i try and do it in a way that is productive but it isn't honestly i try and say get up you got to get this done you're failing this this isn't how you make your dreams happen this is you know doing this isn't going to be the way you make yourself who you want to be you're trying to be the best version of yourself how are you going to do that laying here and honestly i'm just debil debilitated and not getting up and i will lay in bed an entire day and like i have orders that need to be filled I have things that I need to be be doing and then I'm and I know that and I work at home so not not going all, all it takes sometimes is for me to go to the next room and mm -hmm. I still can't do it and when that when and then that frustrates me more and I'm just like girl why you all you have to do is get up and go to the next room and fill these orders that's all that, that it takes but that is such a a, a tall ask sometimes to me very much so, so. <laughs> but, but i think you know exactly but miss dominique and miss ashley like you all really hit on the crux of why these thoughts are so debilitating and why they're so paralyzing and especially your example here miss dominique because the thing about it is like i like to talk to my patients about a double-edged war all right of a lot of things that we do so while these thoughts you're like oh these thoughts are invigorating why can't you yes you're you're a one you're a one but what's the other side of that sword means if i can't do this mm -hmm. right? if i'm not a one what does that mean right yeah. and, and, and that's the ugly creep you know i call it the blog of depression it takes that and it steals what is supposed to be joy was supposed to be certainly self-affirming and it flips it on on his head and shows us the and it rears his ugly head and it, and it adds and it um, just exacerbates those ruminative thoughts, especially when we find ourselves in that thought storm so deep. And we're like, I can do this, I can do this. And certainly, most cases, some cases you can. However, there are times where we have to go outside of ourselves in order to escape that thought storm. And so that's the beauty of someone having social support, you know, whether it's even, you know, just even like texting somebody, you know, hey, help me out here, you know, or this is what I was thinking, X, Y, Z, you know, and just even that, just the interruption itself 
stops the thought storm mm-hmm. because it's giving you such self-efficacy it's giving you greater self-efficacy it's it's disproving those things that the ugly creep or the ugly blog of depression is telling you that you're not capable of doing and of course this doesn't necessarily have a factual basis but depression anxiety doesn't operate on facts it operates on what did we talk about last time in terms of the unknown it mm-hmm. operates on the doubt and that's all it needs it needs just a Mustard seed of doubt. That's all it needs. Oh man. Sprouts from there. And grows roots, thick ones too. Yeah. Um, Very much does. (laughs) Okay. Uh so we can move on to the next one. But that that G hit. That 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 one really. But I'm interested to know what else because now I'm just like, what else is (laughs) she gonna tell us? Right. Very much so. You know, and then of course after that we have the E for energy, but it's for lack of energy. Energia. You know, so associated with the ruminant of thoughts. After you beat yourself up, like who has the energy to do anything? You know, exactly. but I mean, but certainly the process of depression, you know, is uh, devoid of us of energy. But associated something with low energy is problems with concentrating. So not being able to, or certainly something, even as mundane in terms of having a conversation. You know, you're having a conversation. Let's say this 32 year old is having a conversation with a mom over the phone. And they're talking about Christmas plans, right? And she's like, 30 year old's like, what was I saying? It can be as certainly as mundane as that. You know, so because mm-hmm. what happens for a lot of folks is that the ruminative thoughts are so persistent. And, and and even if they're not actively thinking about them, those those ruminative thoughts are still, it's like a um, tape playing in the background and it's still interfering with your ability to certainly do what feels normal wow and you find yourself like constantly like it's like some it's like somebody's calling your name in the background and you're like, oh my gosh yes that's it that is exactly it oh what my gosh and i mean certainly you Ooh. know so these are some examples in terms of how it manifests you know but certainly manifests differently for everybody right, right. then of course we have the a which comes next. So low appetite. So the neurovegetative symptoms of depression. So when I, so when I speak about the neurovegetative symptoms of depression, these are the classic examples of depression, right? So if I say, oh, this person is depressed, most people will conjure this image of this person who is laying prostrate in a bed or in a couch, you know, person's devoid of energy. So when I say neurovegetative symptoms, these are, are those symptoms that really speak to those features. So first of those is appetite. So low appetite. Low absent appetite, but also associated with that is weight gain, because we can also gain weight during depression or a significant weight loss. Very right, you know, what better way than to eat our troubles away? Yeah, and food is delicious. Yes, food is delicious. I was noticing, I was, it, it would get to a point where I would get a headache, and I'm just like, why do I have a headache? And I'm just, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, did I eat today? Mm-hmm. Like, did I even right. eat anything? Some, and, and then some days I'm right. just like, I want all the snacks. And, um, but when, but that's all also another thing. So when I do finally eat, my body's gonna, my metabolism slows. So I do gain weight because it's thinking it's not going to eat again for another day and right. it saves every bit of it. So it really slows down your metabolism more than anything, which is why I make it a priority whenever I start feeling that way and I start noticing that I'm like okay 
I'm making sure that I get to the gym at five in the morning so I can wake up and I, I at least go do fasted cardio. I go do my cardio and then I eat and then go back to the gym and lift weights because if I don't, I won't be hungry. Like I, I make myself hungry by working out. So like that keeps me on a, a regular schedule, but this week it's been very hectic. So I haven't been to the gym and I noticed, I was like, dang, I haven't eaten today. Like I haven't been hungry. And I was just like, I haven't even been hungry. Like usually my body tells me that, you know, Hey, you're hungry. So eat, but it hasn't been that way. So that's really stressing me out right now. I'm just like, Oh crap, this is a lot bigger than I thought. More serious than I thought it was. My appetite has been like crazy. I would say this past year, especially during the pandemic, And usually I'm very much like a grazer. I eat throughout the day and really during the pandemic, I was just like, screw it. I'm hungry. I'm sick and tired of seeing all this stuff on TV. And then, you know, like two, three months later, I'm just like, what have I done? I've eaten everything (laughs) and I'm eating stuff that I haven't eaten in years and hearing all of this these descriptions of depression is very interesting like reflecting now on probably the past like six months and seeing especially with like I remember early this year I I probably lost like 15 pounds in two weeks and I have no clue how it happened but then I realized I wasn't eating anything and then Mm -hmm. pandemic hit and now I'm eating everything so it was just very emotionally I think my emotions was a large part of it but Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of attributed it to, oh, I'm not working out. And that's the reason why, but I think a lot, it probably has a lot more to do with just my feelings and eating my feelings to fill a void that never gets filled. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. And, you know, and I think you all certainly speak to a number of different issues here, you know, certainly in the sense of when we are feeling depressed and so when I say depressed I mean like the clinical sense of depressed yeah not necessarily you know just sad even though it does certainly exist for times when we're sad right mm-hmm. because when we're sad we tend to engage in more of these neurovegetative symptoms like sleeping more sleeping less eating more eating less having less energy having more energy these all of these things certainly speak to certainly our mood fluctuations which are certainly very natural natural manifestations of how we feel. And this is one of the reasons why I often certainly when I work with my patients is to advise them to engage in what we call behavioral activation. So behavioral activation is where we're very intentional, intentionally set out to establish a schedule. It sounds very anal, but you schedule a schedule from 7 a.m. till 10 or 11. So whenever they are like asleep like we scheduled every 15 minutes of the day and again it sounds for some it may sound really anal but really helping them to think intentionally about how they are going to structure their day in a way that helps them to be successful when I say successful I don't necessarily mean that you do everything on a schedule because that's virtually impossible but the fact that you make the schedule the fact that you make the attempt the fact that you are thinking mindfully about your needs and making yourself a priority is what is the success, you know? And so we create these successive successive approximations where we get them closer and closer to the goal, to where they are not only making the schedule, but following integral parts of the schedule 
whether it's eating, whether it's sleeping, whether it's, you know, um, completing certain tasks, you know, like we're going to highlight certain parts of their schedule to make sure that they are accounting, they're accountable to themselves as well as um, to their schedule. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's where that behavioral activation exercise really does work really well for these neurovegetative symptoms of depression. That's amazing that you, that you said that because when I plan my day out, I, I got this app called Time Block. Ash, did you tell me about that, that app? Um, or somebody I tell think me I about probably it. told you about the Pomodoro timer. I've never heard of Time Block. Oh no, but Time Block is an amazing app and I've been using that to, shout out to Time Block, but it's an amazing app because I literally plan out my day that way. And I feel so much better when I do. I even schedule the time to schedule my day mm-hmm. now. And at night I'll schedule my day. I, I put that in and I send notifications to myself. This is about to begin. And it tells me when it's about to start. And at nine o'clock at night before bed, and I try and get to bed by 1030. And I try, and when I do that and I, and I look back, look just the act of looking back on the things that I did accomplish even if I don't hit everything, but all the things that I did achieve, I'm like, dang, that was a very productive day. And I feel better because of that. And that's, and that's another thing that I did not do this week. So whenever I don't do it, I notice a change and I don't hold myself to a a standard. And then I will lay in bed all day and I will do nothing all day if I don't have anything planned and and I do like to plan my entire day and they're like you plan your your yes I plan all of it from the time that I wake up so I wake up at five I go to the gym and then uh for like 30 minutes and then I come back and do my meditations I do all this stuff just to make sure that I'm just setting the tone for my day I make sure I schedule in time to read for an hour I schedule time to study on the things that I'm studying it's so many different things that I want to make sure that I put in the day but I also schedule time for breaks so that I don't work the entire day and I, I'll, I will mess around and get overwhelmed if I, if I have too much on the day or try and put too much on my plate. And now I delegate the things like I'm studying like four different things. So I schedule a time for, to study those things and days. So I don't study everything at once because then I'll, I'll get overload and I don't want to do that. So that scheduling thing is so real. I, I just wanted to say that because that really almost made me hit the floor because I was like, I knew that I was doing something right because I really do notice a change when I schedule my day. So I'm going to absolutely continue to, to do that because it really does help. It truly does help. So thank you for confirming that for me. I appreciate you for that, for sure. Most definitely. And I think, you know, certainly with all of the benefits and features that you know certainly scheduling your day can certainly provide you I also really want to highlight that it really does show us what our limits are right Mm -hmm. sometimes we're very audacious about what we can do and the schedule certainly puts it in terms of realistic terms as far as like what we can do versus what we can't do what's realistic emotionally or just physically you know and that's the beauty about creating that schedule Dr. Stevens, I wanted to point out something. You mentioned behavioral activation and that that being something that you essentially like prescribe the pe- some of the people that you work with. And I just want to point out for anybody that is listening, when it comes to therapy, I think there is sometimes a misconception about therapy that people just sit on a couch, talk about, you know, what happened when they were seven, 
the you know the <laughs> psychologist goes oh well you know there they I think there's a misconception that there's no that it's the same as talking to a friend or talking to a parent and it's just like a conversation when in fact there's an actual plan in place and it's like uh-huh. a strategic you know it's a strategic tool so it's very different than calling your best friend and just talking to them for an hour and like oh I feel better like that's uh, that, that's helpful too but I just want to highlight that when you are working with a mental health professional they are versed and educated in in ways to actually strategically help you and so that includes things that that are literally going to change change pieces of your life it's not the same as just a conversation you know with a coworker or your best friend so right I wanted to point that out <laughs> A lot of people, their aversion to it is the fact that a lot of times they don't know the person, the the, the psychologist, and they, a lot of times they think, oh, you're going to get in my head and blah, blah, blah. And that's one, that's literally the point. Um, but also, yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> I want you to get in my head and help that me is literally this out. <laughs> the goal. That is, that is literally the goal. But they, they, they're like, you're not going to head shrink me. And, you know, and it's, it's more about that. And they're, like opposed to it because they're more afraid of judgment which is weird because a therapist is somebody that's completely objective they don't know you to judge you and they don't know you to 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 form that opinion but a lot of people automatically think well if I tell you all these things well that is literally what they're supposed to do that is literally what they do and I want people to understand that it's not something that's supposed to be scary it's not supposed something that's supposed to be intimidating a lot of people are very tight-lipped about their struggles as well so I mean that's why we're that's why we're here to open those communications and let people know that it's not something that needs to be like I mean it's private it's a personal thing but also it's not something that you should be ashamed of yeah I when people ask me about therapy I kind of describe it as Number one, I'm going to a doctor or to a mental health professional. The same way that if I sprain my ankle, I have to go to a doctor. So for me, I'm going in with, you know, certain symptoms or certain things that I'm going through. And I'm going in with a point of like, okay, I need your professional opinion on what I'm going through and also how I can help. But also... I try to also explain to people that you can only put so much on your loved ones and you can only divulge so much about like, I don't want to call it drama, but the things that you're going through in your life to the people around you, because they're also going through it too. So it's unfair. It's it's unfair. I mean, it can get overwhelming, especially in times like this, but also these, these people have a relationship with you. They have a connection with you. And so there are things that, if some of my friends come to me, there are things that certain things that I'm not going to say because they're my friend. I don't want to be mean to them. Like maybe I'll tell them in the nice way, but I, I always say like, if you go to a therapist, it is a neutral party. Like this Mm -hmm. person knows nothing about your past aside from what you tell them. It is a neutral party. You don't have to worry about like, Oh, what happened in, you know, 2015 and maybe this will come back up or maybe they'll say something or, you know, all the other worries that, come with maybe talking to a loved one like oh if I'm talking to my mom maybe I don't want to tell her about this thing that happened or it's a neutral party that you're paying for a private conversation and to help 
you essentially fix what's going on in your brain. But also a lot of times loved ones and friends don't even see it because one, they're not skilled to see it. So they can't really offer you, they can offer you support and, and all that. But they honestly, they don't, a lot of things, it's not even, oh, I don't want to tell her that. It's a lot of times I don't even see it. I, I, I had no idea. I don't even know what, what's going on because they also probably need therapy too. It's, so how can they, how, how can, yeah, how can they, how can they tell you? But okay, Dr. Stevens. Yeah, I mean, it could be, it could be, you know, I mean, but I think, you know, certainly, I, I think you also hit a lot of the important features as far as, you know, certainly it is a party that, starts out or feels neutral right but let's remember and i guess just add a little more nuance to this conversation in the sense that every provider mental health provider they bring their own experiences you know to that relationship you know Mm -hmm. so those um their beliefs their, their cultural beliefs can certainly be beneficial it could be a great match yes or it cannot be so positive it can you know certainly lead to a mismatch you know, so I, 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 yeah. I want to add that piece of, you know, like some of that nuance, you know, and it is okay to certainly challenge and confront your therapist, you know, or your mental health provider, you know, about things that they say that doesn't necessarily jive or certainly align with your understanding of the situation. But certainly but this is an opportunity for you to talk and to process what's happening in a non-judgmental um, and, and I would say in a in a supportive um, environment, you know, so you can say things without, you know, a fear that you will be judged negatively or harshly about them. Mm -hmm. And so the the job of that mental health provider Mm -hmm. is to look at that in terms of super, so when I say superficially, I mean the surface, right? In terms of what you're saying versus what you're doing. Is there a parallel there? And if it is, okay, all right. But if it's not, tell me a little bit more about this. You know, so again, so now we're looking at relationships. So not just relationships between people, but relationships maybe to that problem. And how you handle that problem in other situations during different parts of your life. And it's interesting that if you handle this problem this way, this time, but you handle it differently this way, how do you reconcile that difference? Because again, given that the mental provider has some distance um, in the sense of them not certainly knowing you in that intimate way, they can certainly see and certainly understand some of these challenges from a forest type view, which gives them certainly, along with certainly having the skills, the awareness, certainly the knowledge, certainly the, um, I guess, to be, to be able to assess and to treat as far as like what's happening, you know? So there are certainly a lot of differences, you know, certainly between a mental health provider versus a friend, you know, or a family member. And certainly while there are benefits to both, there are certainly additional benefits that having a mental health provider, can, or maybe like you all said, that like your family becomes taxed because you always go to them or you're not listening to them and they're tired of telling you the same thing yes. over and over and over. Right. And oh, it was supposed to be different now. Mm-hmm. So, so there are a lot of benefits to that. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so we can move on to uh, after appetite because I know yeah. people are probably <laughs> listening like, uh, 
writing these down. <laughs> right. Because I so definitely am. Part of, so the other part of the neurovegetative signs of depression are what we call psychomotor agitation or psychomotor retardation. So this is more so just than just low energy. These are individuals who are devoid of any energy, motivation. And again, this is more so like when you think of people, more so with the psychomotor retardation, like the things that they do, they move at a snail's pace. Mm. I don't know if you remember that movie. Um, what's the movie with the fox and the, I'm sorry, the, the name of the movie escapes me right now the fox and the hound no it, it, it was a i think it was a fox and, and a bunny and the bunny wanted to become a a police officer oh um i think uh the new the one Pixar movie yeah i can't i'm sorry zootopia is it zootopia yes, yes zootopia yeah you all remember the sloth and how he yes. moved yes. that's a classic example of a person with psychomotor retardation. Oh, so like Eeyore. Yes. Oh, Eeyore. I'm telling you, I, I, I love the character of Eeyore, you know. Eeyore, and actually Stephalopagus, you know, both of them, you know. Oh, yes. I think both of them, they really do encompass like this idea of like the classic signs of psychomotor retardation, you know, because there's just so sad about everything <laughs> yeah so everything is you know is at a slow pace or it's like completely absent right they don't right. even have the energy to do things right so so psychomotor retardation the other end of that spectrum is psychomotor agitation so everything must be done quickly but you're not doing it to completion you're not doing it fully you're not doing it successfully Everything is go, 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 go. And you got to go, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it. Wow. That's so more that's, like manic, right? Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, it's not. it looks like manic, right? It looks like manic. However, for the psychomotor agitation, again, it's roots is in depression. But also with this is that the purpose is not necessarily for excitability or for elevated mood. Oh, it's, more so to drive um, is, is more so related to this concept of reducing the depressive episode in the person's mind, you know, so I got to do these things. So, and, and, and remember that all these symptoms um, interrelate. So for a person with psychomotor agitation, they may justify the psychomotor agitation. Well, I can do this. I'm an A plus student. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And this is what's driving or continues to drive and fuel the psychomotor agitation to reduce or seemingly reduce the negative um, ruminations. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas wow. certainly the mania has a completely different purpose. Right. And then, of course, and then we talked about, well, I think I touched a little bit on sort of sleep. So hypersomnia, where you oversleep, or insomnia, the lack of sleep. Or you have your parasomnias, which are your fake sleeps, but you know, like where you appear to be sleeping, but because of an underlying medical issue, you're not getting restorative sleep. So a person oversleeps 12, 13, 14 hours because the depression is just so um, overwhelming, it's so weighty. 
that rather than deal with the cares of the world, they sleep. Yeah, I've definitely gone through that where I have gone through bouts like throughout life where I just would wake up and I would just go back to sleep for hours, like hours. It was ridiculous. I would make sure everything is done. So I would make sure I get up and go to practice. But on the days where I didn't have those things to do, I would just sleep and sleep and sleep. And everybody just thought I was just like a sleepy person. And, you know, I did love to sleep, but there were definitely days where it just kind of felt like, man, I don't, I, I would rather be sleeping than to be doing anything today. And not in like a, it's Sunday and let's just stay in the bed and it's cozy more and like what you're saying, like a depressive mood where I actually don't want to live life right today. I just want to go to sleep. I don't even mm-hmm. want to be present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even, sometimes even you can be like, you try and disqualify or qualify it by saying sleep just feels so good. Cause that is definitely me. I'm just like, I just want to be in bed and you know, and yeah, bed is cozy and my bed is extremely comfortable. And some days you can just be in bed all day. And you know, that's not necessarily a healthy thing to just be in bed drifting in and out of sleep all day long. That's just terrible. That's, I mean, it's, that's just not, I mean, unless it's completely restorative, then it's kind of, it's, you know, a problem. It's, it's something to take notice about. But I also, I also do give myself the grace to nap. So I'm just like, I want to take a nap. I've done a lot already. So let me take a little nap to recharge, but I make sure that they're timed. So I'll have a 23 minute nap, like specifically 23 minutes, because I don't want to get into a super deep sleep. And then I just, and then I wake up feeling a lot more refreshed and I'm like, okay, I can continue on with the day because I'm recharged now. But I guess it's seen like the difference in, you know, just taking a nap or taking a day where you're going to just, okay, I'm going to, I'm really tired. I'm going to sleep today. Whereas like I've gone through where every day I would rather be sleeping than doing Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. for weeks on end every day, like especially if I've had to go to work, I would literally sleep to the last moment and still be late and get home and just sleep, not want to do anything else. And I think that is, I mean, for me, that's one of the signs. Okay. I know that I'm kind of like slipping into mm-hmm. the gloom. Mm-hmm. I start to notice that on like the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth day. Okay. Like I need to check myself and start like using what's in my toolbox to help myself get out of this but it's just yeah like when my grandma passed that that hit me like bam and all I wanted to do is sleep I didn't want to talk to anybody I didn't answer my phone um I didn't want to go anywhere I didn't really want to eat I just wanted to stay in the bed all day and I work from home and I remember during that period I were I don't I never work from my bed I have a desk I have everything set up I'm like very anal about that but during that time, I just worked from my bed and slept as much as I could because, and, and obviously I think, I'm pretty sure that was a depressive episode mixed with a lot of grief, but yeah, it's, I don't think that's a thing that we typically correlate with depression, but I'm so glad that you brought it up and kind of went through that because it definitely is a factor in, in a sign. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, and I guess too, I want to just differentiate between you know certainly just having 
or needing maybe some extra sleep days, you know, especially, you know, when we keep talking about right now, you know, because right now the pandemic, the triple quadruple pandemic is taxing so much of our energy on a day in and day out basis. You know, so a lot of us are finding that sleep is so much more preferable than just facing or encountering the challenges, you know, that we have to face on a day-to-day basis. Certainly for individuals with depressive episodes, this occurs more days than not. And for some, the thought pattern includes life is just too overwhelming and I can't even bear the thought of life. It has that type of tone. It's very, what feels very dark, right? And because it feels so very dark and so overwhelming, that sleep is the preference for that, you know, individual. Or is I don't even have the energy, literally, I don't have the energy to think about this anymore. And you just drift off to sleep. Mm. And a part of the problem too is that for people with depression, we see that they don't really get restorative sleep. So when we talk about restorative sleep, we're talking about deep wave sleep. So that's like what what was typically known as stage four and REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. Those are the best quality sleep periods. Most people on average, I think it's, I know the research was updated and I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. So I'll correct next time we come back on the uh, podcast, but I think it's between five to like seven REM deep wave periods. Certainly as you get older, those REM, those restorative sleep um, stages are reduced. But on average, we get somewhere between five to eight. What happens is that people with depression, guess where they stay? In those shallow levels of sleep. Stage one, stage two. And what happens in stage one and stage two? Somebody says, Miss Ashley, Miss Dominique, you're waking up just that quickly. Like you're not getting that deep restorative sleep where the most beneficial um, parts of our, our body are restored. You know, consolidation of learning mm-hmm. happens in stage four in REM sleep, like where we transfer the short-term memories to the long-term memories. Right. There's so many things that happen. And like, you know, maybe one day we can have this a podcast about sleep because it really is fascinating in terms of just how important it is. It speaks to certainly our moves, it speaks to appetite, it speaks to our sleep. <laughs> sleep indicates sleep, you know, but, you know, certainly, but again, you know, that people with depression tend to experience more shallow forms of sleep. I think it's more so what I want to point to, you know, even with hypersomnia. So they wake up tired? Oversleep. Yeah. They wake up very tired. I, I felt like I only slept 20 mm-hmm. minutes. Or I felt like I barely slept. Or I felt like I yeah. just woke up, you know? Or insomnia, the other side of, or the other, you know, end of the spectrum where you don't sleep at all, you know, and so we have one set of insomnia, meaning that you have trouble falling asleep, maintenance insomnia, you wake up in the middle of the night, you can't get back to sleep for at least 30 minutes or more, or termination insomnia, you wake up too early, and more so at the time of day, maybe five or six, you know, in the morning, and you can't get back to sleep, 30 minutes or more. And so these functional types of insomnia, again, indicate depression. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times for some people, it can be just the way to, the depressed mood. For some, it can be the ruminative thoughts. For some, it can just be, you know, I'm so hungry right now. I don't feel like getting up. Yes. 
So I'm just going to try to just sit here in the bed until I fall asleep. Yes. The neurovegetative symptoms of depression, indicating the other neurovegetative symptoms of depression. Right. So uh, psychomotor agitation, psychomotor retardation, sleep. And then, of course, we have suicide, the last S. That's suicidal ideation, suicidal attempts, suicide completions, or thoughts around death. It doesn't necessarily have to be around thoughts necessarily about suicide. So the thoughts around death are more so what we call passive suicidal ideation. So what's the point of living? Um, nobody would care if I was gone. It's just too much, the weight of the world. It's just overwhelming. These types, types of thoughts, you know, or I wonder what happened if I had just walked to the middle of the road where you're not exactly expressing a complete and full thought to end your life, but you're questioning your utility, your purpose in life. I, I appreciate you bringing up suicidal ideation because I don't think a lot of people, I, I know I didn't understand it for a while and it definitely is something that I'm happy that we're talking about because I, I think some people probably have these thoughts going through their brain where it is, I don't know, I kind of see it as like the, the surface of the, I don't know, the like suicide bucket where it's just like, you're just kind of like thinking about like, what if this happened or what if that happened? And, and I hope that anybody that is going through these thoughts, like understands the, the weight of them and understands how serious it is that, that, you know, especially if these are constant thoughts going through their head so yeah well when you're ill when you're mentally ill suicide sounds like a good idea because that's how my brother died my brother committed suicide and it's it seemed like a good idea for him Be, but I was speaking to someone they were like well so a lot of times when people are depressed and they commit suicide they want to kind of just hit the pause button just to pause the grief and they don't realize the the finality of suicide a lot of times they don't really intend to die. Sometimes they don't really intend to die. They just want to halt the pain. Yes. And unfortunately, that's what, that's what happened with my brother. Suicide is something, especially in our community, that is a silent killer. And a lot of people don't talk about it. I had a friend that committed suicide. He attempted the first time by jumping into a frozen lake. And then... Yeah, a frozen lake in the middle of February. And that, I guess he didn't want to die that way. And he just screamed for help and someone came and got him. But then he went hunting with his dad. And that was when he, yeah. it was just, and that is so awful. But, you know, sometimes they, they just need that pause. And I think that's, I, I think that was what happened when my, my little brother, he, just needed that pause from the pain and you know that that stuff is heavy and a lot I, I was speaking with my aunt about it and she was saying you know I just can't like what could happen like what would make you want to do that to yourself and, and it's not something that you just want to do to yourself this is an illness and having a suicidal thought and having suicidal tendencies is an illness it's not just something like I mean, it obviously goes against the, the, the law of nature to, to do no harm to self. You can't, you can't bite through your own tongue. You can't bite through your own skin yeah. for yeah. a reason. And, you know, obviously when someone can do that, there's, 
there's something that isn't that's misaligned and a lot of people can't get past that because they can't get past their own scope of vision and understanding that you know some people just want it to end just even for a brief moment and I feel that and and just the manner that my brother chose to take his life my brother jumped off a building you know he jumped off in a building and I became obsessed with why people would do that. And I read that, you know, usually people that jump off a building, they, they're, in, they're dead set on dying and dead set on that pause. And a lot of people do it because they don't have access to a gun. A lot of people jump off buildings because they don't have access to just, you know, do whatever. And that is, you know, I, I became obsessed with it because I was just like, why would that happen? And, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such a, uh, a winding road and I just wanted to say that you know people do sometimes they just for just a second they want to pause it and just want to get that relief and that release from whatever they're feeling that is just holding on to them because you know it that it's like a vice grip and when you feel like you're out of control I, I noticed that when you feel like you're out of that control then you want to take control in some kind of way. And a lot of times that's how they do it. And I, that's unfortunate and I'm grateful for healing, but I just wanted to interject with that because that is some heavy stuff, you know, and, and it's very serious and it, it's almost unfathomable for people that don't consider suicide, no matter how depressed they get, that's not something that's on the table for them. Some people are just, they will go only as far as sleeping in all day or not cleaning up their room. And, you know, but some people aren't like that, unfortunately. And, and you know, they want to, they want an out. Yeah. And I just want to say mm-hmm. if anybody is listening to this and um, it resonates with this part of the conversation and maybe having those thoughts, we will definitely put the suicide hotline in the bio. So if you feel like that's something that you need, to um to utilize please feel free that phone number will be there this is something that you're going through or maybe if you have a friend or a family member that's going through that you'd like to send these resources to we'll definitely make sure those are provided definitely thank you miss ashley and thank you again miss dominique for sharing your experience to help our listeners to understand certainly how pervasive and how overwhelming depression and just suicidal ideation suicidal thoughts can be you know and it's not necessarily something of wanting to cause pain to people it's it, it, like Troy talked about depression and I think we can see suicide you know the same way of anger turned inward and this anger that's turned inward like you feel that for some people and of course it doesn't necessarily apply at all but it just feels so overwhelming and because you have limited capabilities because of just limited internal resources, maybe limited external resources, or maybe like money or just, you know, getting the right providers or not having the right job, you know, or again, the limited internal resources of not being able to have resilience or, and it's more so the perception around those things, you know, having those limited resources oftentimes makes people feel trapped. Like they have, no 
access in order to remedy or ameliorate this pain that they feel. And this pain is so overwhelming, it's so persistent. And certainly maybe there are brief periods of respite where it doesn't feel so overwhelming, but more days than not, it feels overwhelming and there's nothing that anybody can do to make mm-hmm. that pain go away, you know, for people mm-hmm. who experience suicidal, who experience active suicidal ideation. And again, because these thoughts are so persistent, that be part of the problem, you know, part of the challenge is that when people experience severe forms of depression, you all remember how we talked about psychomotor retardation, mm-hmm. you know, psychomotor retardation, remember that these are individuals who have so little energy that and for some, they don't even, they, they can't even conjure up thoughts. That's how little energy they have. This is actually, you know, like as, as a provider working with someone, like I feel pretty safe around their safety. I feel pretty assured around their safety because they right. can't, they don't have the energy to enact any plan, to identify a plan or an enact a plan. However, let's say if they start therapy and they start psychotropic medication, that's the most dangerous, that's the most lethal part or time during a person's recovery. Because mm-hmm. guess what? They're still in the bouts of severe depression, but they have the energy now. And remember, you don't need a whole lot of energy. If they have just biochemically, what happens in the first two weeks of taking an antidepressant, people experience like increased anxiety. And the increased anxiety can be read as increased energy. So people tend to have like a bounce of energy. They call, we call it the rebound, this rebound anxiety that you experience in those two weeks. And so that's one, again, one of the most lethal times. And so during this period, this time when, well, prior to this period, you know, certainly, you know, we started suicide contracts, we've established and tried to strengthen the social support network. We've tried to connect them with other resources for our social workers, case managers, you know, so if they're working, try to connect them with their supervisors, their peers. Like I'm really trying to create like this intranet, you know, the safety, the, the, the safety net to make sure that let's say if for one reason, one or two people fall through, I have some other resources that they can actually connect with. You know, and wow, of course, you know, beautiful. we have a suicide hotline, you know, and then of course, you know, our local resources that they can always connect to. But again, making them feel completely supported, you know, along with having, you know, building their internal and their, so I talked about the external resources, but also building their internal resources as well. Because again, what we see is that conjoint psychotherapy along with psychiatric medication tends to work best. However, for severe forms of depression, what we need most is psychotropic medication because a person experiencing severe depression, it's hard for, it's hard for the insight therapy to penetrate. Remember the persistent negative ruminative thoughts, the depressed mood is just so ingrained, it's so overwhelming that it's hard for them to gain the benefits of insight therapy. So we're really starting therapy in order just to get the pattern in, to get the behavior activation. Okay, common therapy, common therapy. We're really just really building routine, honestly. You know, mm-hmm. in terms of what they gain, if they gain anything, I'm happy about, but I don't really have very high expectations that they're going to gain anything during those first, you know, um, couple weeks, a couple months during their severe depression. I really, I just want them common therapy. I can get you to common therapy, to be compliant with therapy, compliant with medication, showing up at work 
if you're doing yeah. that, you know, again, just really creating that interweb there. A couple of the treatments for, um, you know, SAD. So we use like an artificial light and it looks like a, like your typical light, um, but it has a, and, and actually you can get a couple of different um, light bulbs that have different levels of intensity. And so you can uh, modulate how much of an intensity you want, you know? So there's something that's, it's pretty relatively affordable over um, Amazon. If you're, you know, anti-Amazon, you know, we can also include like some links for other sites. Mm -hmm. But again, it's just a regular lamp or that what looks like a regular lamp and you can regulate the amount of light that you see. And the idea is that you expose yourself to this artificial light for 15 to 30 minutes during targeted intervals throughout the day. So hmm. the idea is that prior to the onset of the low mood is that you expose yourself to this light in order to give you that rebound to help you to navigate throughout your day. It's like now, taking little hits of the sun, right? I think I've seen this before. I saw it on Broad yes. City. Yes, yes Broad yes, City, yes. That's what I saw, yes. <laughs> it was so funny. It, it is. But she was like, like for real. <laughs> Yes, I know. It, it, is, it's almost like a suntan lamp a bit, you know, a, a little bit. But of course, you know, and then also we can always like open up our windows for those of us who are fortunate enough to have sun, you know, like opening up our windows. If you do have enough energy, you know, to go out and take a walk, like 15 to 30 minutes typically, you know, is enough in order to get some of the benefits of sunlight to get the vitamin D, you know, but if you don't, certainly using an artificial light is a really great way to do that. Another method of treatment is using a smartwatch. You know, so using that smartwatch and someone that's some, in the sense that they help you to be more mindful around your sleep. So it's not necessarily just laying down, like based on your, I think it's based off of your basal temperature. It knows when you're going to sleep. <laughs> And it knows when you wake up, I'd I have to find, I have to research the name of that app, but, you know, and so, and it also looks at your heart rate. So it modulates all of these things to tell you how many hours of sleep you got that night. And then based off the amount of hours of sleep that you received, you know, certainly you can uh, program your watch in order to make sure that you sleep, you know, maybe you shift your sleep up or uh, shift your sleep down in order to get the restorative effects of sleep and then also to get the benefits of sunlight as well mm. and so here so working with the sleep in terms of exposure to sunlight as well as regulating your appetite so this app you know through your smartwatch, which i mean of course i know that it's available on the iWatch, and i'm and it may be available on the android version so i'll, I'll, I'll look it up but is it sleep uh, timer it's not a sleep timer. It's a it's a different app that I hadn't heard about. So, okay. but I'll I'll send the name of that app. It was very astounding in terms of its capabilities. Mm -hmm. You know, to be able to certainly read your basal temperature, to read sleep appetite as well as exposure to sunlight. So, but those are two of the the treatments um, at the top of my hair window, getting walks throughout the day. So what I'm hearing is if you have a chance to get outside and even take a walk around your building or around your house, even if it's for five, 10, 15 minutes, it's worth it in the long term because you're helping to regulate 
all the hormone stuff and that that help with your mood. So if you're feeling like maybe you have SAD, seasonal affective disorder, it's getting into the sunlight if possible, maybe using some of the resources like the apps that can help regulate that and help kind of like help you fix your schedule around trying to get the best sleep, but also get some exposure to sunlight and then using that sunlight lamp, which we're also supposed to link to and trying to make sure that we're balancing that melatonin. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very much so. Very love it. So. Yes. I love that. That's going to be so helpful for so many people. Totally with that. I'm going to write, make sure that I write this down and make sure that we keep those in there. Thank you so much, Dr. Stevens. You are amazing at what you do and we're so grateful to have you. Yes. I also want to say that it's so amazing that this, this work that y'all put in to make sure and to ensure the safety of people, because you guys know that that show that goes to show that mental health professionals know WTF they're doing. And, you know, they know exactly how to, they know how to make sure that everything can be done to save this life and preserve this life. And that's so beautiful. And I'm so grateful for people like you that do exist and, and are able to dedicate y'all's lives to making sure these lives are saved. And that's such a beautiful thing. And I'm so grateful for y'all. I really am just, I'm grateful for you to, to be someone that we are constantly working with and just giving that insight. Cause I had no idea that that's what, that's the links that you guys go through or go to, to, to make that happen. That's, I just love it. It's profound to me. You know, I really do believe that it's a symbiotic relationship in terms of having, you know, certainly patients or clients or individuals who are certainly invested in the process, but also having advocates such as yourselves, you know, in order to spread the word, you know, because the thing about it is that we're in this thing together, you know, we're, you know, like I tell folks, we are social beings, we're not meant to live alone, we're not meant to like accomplish goals alone, you know we are in this world together to help and to support one another. And mm-hmm. if by certainly you all being advocates, we can reach five more people. Hey, yes. and those five people can reach five more people. We have the power of exponents, you know, and we've reached so many more people. So I, you know, I appreciate you all for the work that you all continue to continually do. And I appreciate certainly with all the challenges that you all have experienced that you are totally willing enough to share those experiences for for others to show them that it's not necessarily just a face on a wall these are very real stories in terms of what we're talking about you know and to show certainly both sides of this coin in terms of showing how nuanced and very deep you know these experiences can be um so thank you all thank you yeah thank you (laughs) we are super grateful that that you are on our team like definitely seriously I think this episode was just like mind-blowing for me I thought I knew about depression like somebody could have asked me and I really thought I knew about depression but (laughs) I knew about this much (laughs) (laughs) a a drop in a drop in the ocean in the bucket (laughs) 
Um, but this is super, this is, this is really great. And I really hope that everybody listening kind of spreads the word, like you were saying. And again, we are going to have some resources in the bio for you guys, whether you need them for yourself or whether you'd like to pass them on to somebody else. Thank you, Dr. Stevens, for your time. This was another great conversation. We always look forward to, to, to talking with you and working with you and brainstorming and all that good stuff. So we are dropping episodes bi-weekly right now. And Dr. Stevens will be on quite a few episodes. So keep an eye out. <laughs> you can follow us. We're grateful. Um, well, everything is going to be in the, in the bio. So yeah. uh, feel free to follow us along. We are continuing to drop new hosting sites or new places where you can listen to our podcast from Spotify to Podbean to things that I've never heard of, but they were on there. So uh, we'll drop all the information. Um, Dominique, go ahead. I just wanted to give Dr. Stevens another opportunity to, in case this is the first episode for anybody listening, can you please just give your contact information if they would like to speak with you and communicate with you outside of, you know, the podcast or Instagram or any, or through us. Well, thank you again. My email is utpcpa at gmail.com. Thank you. Helping us take over the world. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Ashley. Like I, I fawn over you all with everybody. Like everybody. I'm like, oh, thank you. Wonderful women. They're so beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm like, I'm like your fans, you know. So we're your fans. (laughs) Yeah, we're your fans. We're your fans. We're your fans. (laughs) Yes, and believe it is definitely mutual. But thank you so much for being here. We can't wait to have you again and talk to you again. We're gonna be just chipping away at these barriers and really helping people. And I'm, and that's one of the things that I'm most grateful about that we're able to do this and us as black women being able to come together and, and let people know that they're not alone. I'm, yes. I'm grateful for this opportunity. Just the, the being present in that is something that I'm definitely relishing in. It's yeah. a, it's a profound thing that we're doing. I'm grateful to be a part yeah. of it. <laughs> thank you so much to everybody that is thank you, listening thank you to everybody that has tuned in that has subscribed i mean we've got people listening in i think dominique you said that you said barbados the other day in the uk we've got listeners in new zealand puerto rico um, listeners in puerto rico i was like crossing my fingers that friends and family were going to listen but this has actually just kind of like blown it out the water and people are listening all over so we are super Yay. grateful if you've tuned in if you've listened to a couple episodes we hope that you subscribe follow download episodes and follow us on social media that way you know when we're dropping new episodes featuring new guests thank you for being a part of this community and we will talk to you all next time have a great <laughs> <day>, weekend night <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys bye, thank you. bye. <laughs>